business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's 9 minutes past, just gone 10 minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. And unfortunately, today's show is going to be slightly different from the normal. I really try to be upbeat, try to see the silver lining on everything. But we have a reality in South Africa. We have a population of about 75 million, but a very, very small percentage of that population is taxpaying. In fact, the majority of that population is tax receiving. They are beneficiaries of tax. So we pay tax in two separate ways. You pay tax either directly, so you get taxed on your income, you get taxed um, on capital gains, you get taxed when you die, or indirectly is every time you purchase certain items, they have VAT connected to them. And that's how the government revenue coffers get filled. But when your big taxpayers, in other words, your high net worth individuals, start leaving the country, they take their money with them. Often their money immigrates before they do. And the whole purpose often of leaving is to minimize the amount of tax that they have to pay. It's all good and well when you speak to someone who says, well, I've done this and I've been able to do this and save this. But if you look at the country as a whole, all it means is that there's less revenue coming in and less money for the government to do what they need to do. And that simply means the government needs to borrow more money. The more the government borrows, the more indebted they become. But to discuss all this with us is Etienne Retreat, who is from the Center of Tax Excellence at the South African Institute of Professional Accountants. Etienne, welcome to High FM. Morning or afternoon, actually. <laughs> Good afternoon. Etienne, did I put it quite succinctly in the opening statement there? Yeah, I think the the key thing is, you know, there are different ways of taxation, but I think the the most important thing to take from from that, which you uh, you've touched on, is the flight of capital, because a high net worth individual, they don't earn income the same way that you and I do to be taxed. It's very unlikely that they would be taking a salary as the primary form of income. The income would be through a combination of capital growth, interest, dividends, um, uh, and that capital itself, when that floods, then the way to tax it is more difficult or less likely for us to get to. But it's also the use of that capital. Remember, companies rely on that capital to, to exist. So besides the tax impact, there's the, the, the impact of availability of capital, especially at a time where South Africa is, is not seen as a, as a suitable place for foreign investment. It just really does not bode well. But let's, let's drill down a little bit. I mean, has the flight of high net worth individuals, as the acronym goes, UHNWIs, um, how many have actually left? What percentage change has there been? Well, the, the report that came out made a reference that the, that we had a drop of about 8.4% in 2022. And then prior to that, there was a drop of about 20%. So we, we've seen year on year a drop, uh, of, of these high net worth individuals. So the official numbers that came out from previously had showed that 
we had a, a drop from 36, just over 36,000 to about 28,000 people. Um, uh, that was during 2022. So that's quite a significant number of people who have uh, um, essentially left South Africa. But I just want to put a bit of caveat to it, is yeah. that when we, we, we say they leave, we don't know what they leave with. Uh, so you mentioned, for instance, that sometimes the capital goes ahead. Uh, and also sometimes a person choose to leave the country, go live somewhere else because they, for whatever reason, would want to live somewhere else, whether it is semi-retirement, whether it is to go into a, difficult, a different political state, whatever their reason is, they don't necessarily always take all their capital. They might leave their business interest still in South Africa, but in other cases, we might be taking them with. So what I don't want to do is automatically make assumptions that that number means something other than that that person is no longer uh, intended to be a South African citizen. That's a very, very fair point because one can definitely live out the country and still operate one's businesses from within the country and still manage one's assets from from in the country. But practically, there must be a drop of tax revenue collection. Have we seen that over the last two years? So I think the, the difficulty is that when we look at the, the, the information, SARS has been able to collect, in fact, exceed its revenue collection targets. So they're doing that. But to a great extent, that collection increase that they've had was not because the pool of taxpayers have gotten bigger or the preservation of it. It's rather been that they've become better at collecting outstanding debts that is there and that SARS has now further put its focus to their compliance drive as to finding people who are trying to not pay their fair share. So I think for... Uh, the, this period, the fiscal period that is closed and the period we're currently in, I think SARS can meet its, its obligations still at least for the next financial period on the basis of driving compliance. The, this move of, of people and because it follows the capital, the, the problem is that it's not immediate. If we take something like a direct tax, you feel the, the effect immediately because it's, if, if there's less money available to buy a product, the immediately there's a, a knock on effect on how much VAT I collect. Where if we look at capital, it's the timeline to that is much longer. So we might only see what impact this has had in a few years time and not now straight away. For me, I think the, the big thing to take from this is that we, we want to be careful not to distort, uh, saying us that they can't meet their tax obligation or their tax collection targets because of people leaving South Africa. Because what I can collect is different from what is available to collect from. Uh -huh. So we need to frame it correctly that every person who's left now, um, they have different, let's call it different lifestyles. If I go and I go, let's say, live in London now, and I go get a job, but my job I've left here, someone else occupies, there's no loss to the fiscus really in terms of income earning capacity because there's still someone doing that job, earning that money, paying employees tax. Fair point. Where the person who leaves, with, especially with that big capital, who essentially has a knock-on effect on how many people get employed, the capital growth that comes from it, or even their future earnings, that might have a bigger impact, but it's not a direct impact as, as employment income. Then we have the person who is a highly skilled or very niche type of skill that we lose, and we don't have that skill set anymore. 
that that is a clear flight. So I think we have to be careful. Not every person who leaves with a job is is going to be a, a tax loss to us. There's a loss in terms of expertise. There's a loss of skill. Uh, and there might in long term be that ramification for that. But in the short term, very little tax impact. There are certain, uh, so the entrepreneur, for instance, who's going to start that business, if he chooses to start it in South Africa, potentially can employ 10, 15, 100 people eventually, or he goes somewhere else and starts that business somewhere else, that's where a loss can come. But it takes time for that to mature. So I'm, I'm far more concerned with the flight of capital and where that entrepreneur goes than just an employee. So when we talk about high net worth individuals, we there we are typically looking at that capital that is moving. And that's what we need to be concerned of is, is that capital no longer accessible to South African business? Because mm-hmm. that would be of concern. Great and really, really good point. And thank you very nicely put. And I just want the listeners to know that Etienne is really flying blind. My camera, for whatever reason, is not working. So he's just staring down at his uh, his own image on his computer. So uh, thank you for sticking with us. Etienne, we need to run to the shops. But um, just before we go to, to the adverts, I just you know want to ask, I often feel that just like we talk about the lost years with, with, with the President Zuma where nothing really happened, we also had our haters in, in the tax revenue services where Proven Garden left and we really went through a very, very difficult time. Has, has that been patched up? Have we recovered from that? So I think the current management has done an enormous job at repairing a lot of the damage. There's some damage that I don't think will be repaired. Um, there's still uh, in certain sectors uh, shortages of skill and resources. And I mean, that comes down to budget rather than, than what's there. But obviously they allowed for certain people to, to escape the tax net. And it makes it very difficult for a current authority now to go and collect that because when that person is no longer in the fold, it's difficult. But I have to say that, you know, SARS as a, as an organization in the last few years has done enormous steps at compliance and using the data that is available to them uh, in, in, in good ways to identify that errant taxpayer, the person not making proper disclosure or trying to hide. So the world's gotten a little bit smaller for the people who are not compliant and they are very good at, at starting to close those, those gaps down. So uh, it's not an easy task, but I do think that they've made massive strides. Very, very good to hear. Etienne, let's take a quick break and when we come back, Let's compare South Africa's, South Africa's tax system to compare to some of the favorable, favorable systems that people talk about, such as Portugal, Mauritius, and New Zealand. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Etienne, coming back to you. South Africa is really, you know, one of the departments we were very, very proud of, even though none of us love paying tax, is, is SARS. Um, you know, under the guidance of, uh, of uh, Problem Garden, it really became a world-class organization, was efficient, easy to work with. And then we went through a bit of a, a skid when we went off the tracks and we're back on it now. But taking that out of the equation, just as a tax revenue system and a taxation system, how do we compare 
with companies like Portugal, Mauritius, and New Zealand. In other words, those countries that people long to go for as tax as tax efficient countries. Well, I think if we talk about the tax system, uh, South Africa was one of the early adopters of electronic filing. In fact, when e-filing first launched, uh, we had uh, a lot of people from the European countries coming through to actually see how we do it because they wanted to duplicate it, to mimic it. So I think our modernization journey that we started right there was already world class. And, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, they even won, uh, some, some international awards for their setups and the systems that they've, that they developed. The, uh, so yes, when the change took place and, and, uh, under the, let's call it the previous, uh, management structure, the, there was one of the biggest probably damages that was taking place behind the scenes at SARS was the the delay of of systems or their continued modernization. And but if you look at the current SARS, they've they've moved forward at trying to pull those back in. So if you look at the amount of data that you push into SARS that they're getting from third parties that we never really had, um, it's amazing. In fact, we're at such a point where auto-assessment takes place because the average taxpayer, the, the third-party data of all your certificates and things that you have from various institutions uh, already comes to SARS. And instead of SARS just using that data to, to check if you've disclosed correctly, they already say to you, here's your return, just tell us if you agree or disagree. So that, I mean, we, we are really, in, in terms of international standard, I think we are we are tracking really well with our modernization. In terms of our tax system, our tax system isn't really that different from countries like New Zealand, Australia, uh, UK. And even from a taxing point, if you look at our rates, if you take Portugal as an example, I think their maximum rate is 48%. So it's still higher than even ours. Uh, to get to their rate, if you, if you look at our tables, you actually hit that maximum rate of tax quicker than we do here. The the difference is that when we talk about tax, there's a, a number of factors. There's if I'm invested in a company, I need to be more worried about the corporate rate. And that's why we have seen over the last few years a lot of emphasis has been on trying to reduce our uh, our corporate tax rate. Uh, to make it more comparable because for instance in, in Portugal the corporate tax rate ranges anything from I think it's zero, three, five, and nine percent based on, on the, the uh, essentially the taxable income of that, that, uh, like a scaling rate. The, but even there the maximum rate is at nine where we're sitting at 28. So it's a, uh, the, but we, I also think from a company's point of view, we've got to be very careful not to have this race to the bottom of just having the best corporate tax rate. We, we need to ensure that, uh, that the tax rate isn't the reason why a person's investing here. So remember a foreign investor or any person dealing here, there's a number of things that come into it. It is our labor laws. It's exchange control. It's our banking system. It's the economic climate. It's, it's the political climate. It's the availability of electricity. It's, there's so many factors that play into it that we've got to be careful not to get plowed down that taxes is singular. When a person leaves to go, let's say to Mauritius, they might take some business interest with, but they, they're not setting up shop in Mauritius to avoid tax. That's very different from the person who doesn't move. And we, from a group structure, want to go and say, let's set up in a more tax-friendly environment. But a lot of companies that, for instance, would use that to set up in, let's say, Mauritius, it's 
the, the availability of Mauritius, it's a, it's a two hour flight away. Uh, it's not that expensive to set up a company there. But a lot of those companies have set that up. It's not just because they're trying to take advantage of a more preferable corporate rate. Because we have a lot of laws already or provisions in our law that, that deals with controlled foreign companies, transfer pricing and the likes. But there's also other factors such as exchange control or there they have a lack of, of capital gains. So those are the kinds of things that, that also impact how business set up. And it's not unheard of. It's not just a South Africa thing. Uh, if you look at Apple, Google, uh, Microsoft, all of them, they have pretty much planted all over the world in different jurisdictions to take advantage of those jurisdictions' favorable tax positions and even favorable positions between tax treaties between those countries. So it's it's not a unique South African thing. It's happening everywhere. So I don't think we, we need to focus on it. If we look at the individual tax, you're going to pay tax wherever you reside. Um, you're going to pay tax essentially on wherever the source of that income is. And comparatively speaking, there's only a few countries that aim not to really tax that income. And that's about the only place you can really say, well, for tax reasons, I might want to, to shift there. For the others, there's, I think, a, a number of other considerations to it and not just tax for them to, to have moved. So if I am fed up with, with load shedding and everything else happening here and I decide to go, it's easy to say, oh, well, I, I, I'm leaving South Africa. But my reasons for leaving might not have been a tax reason. And John, you've obviously hit a, a raw nerve here because his SMS is coming through. A lot of people want to say, um, I'm just looking at you. And Leslie says, I currently live in Israel. A lot of my friends are American and they get taxed by the American regime regardless of where they live and how they earn that income. How does that work? Is South Africa similar? No. So South Africa is, is a little bit different. So America has their own, and in fact, there they've got a, a double tax structure. So it's essentially you've got a state tax and you've got a, uh, a tax for essentially the, the state, uh, or sorry, the state only, and that's where you reside. Now, if you don't reside in the U.S., then that state tax won't apply. But there's the federal tax that applies to everyone. Now, the mere fact that you are... Uh, let's call it have the privilege of calling yourself American or holding an American credentials in which you are traveling or under the protection of America, you will pay tax on it. Now, likewise, if you go to the U.S. and you travel there, when you exit there, for instance, the, the, the sales tax that you pay in, in that country for anything you bring back, you don't get a credit for it. South Africa, for instance, we say, well, you're exporting the goods. We'll give you your VAT back on the goods that you're exporting. So each each country is different. And it's and, and it's difficult to make a comparative. Now, South Africa uses a system which most European countries would use, and and is regarded as one of the fairest systems, uh, where we we kind of look at it on the first step of saying is where are you a resident? And as a South African resident, we aim to tax you on your worldwide tax on your worldwide income. And then we've got things like a double taxation treaties, and we've got a number of provisions in our tax legislation, like tax credits or exemptions, to avoid double taxation. So we're saying as we we have first, as a res, as a resident, we want to tax all your income, but we're also going to give you relief from any double taxation, either through a tax credit or or an exemption, for or some form of exclusion, because another jurisdiction got to tax it, and it's unfair to tax you twice. Now, for a non-resident, we only aim to tax you on South African source income. 
And that means that you, you, so if I use an example of, for instance, property that is in South Africa, that we want to make sure that we get the, the taxes on uh, immovable property that's located in South Africa. So, um, and that's the same system that Australia, New Zealand, uh, UK, Ireland, even, even Canada to that extent, to a great extent uses the same system. So the US is a little, a little bit different on that. And, and I would almost say it's, it's, it's a bit like a, a privilege for you to walk around with that, with that green card. You, you pay the price for it. Interesting and nicely put. Um, it's in something else that's come across is, I think you see it's also in your press release that by SARS coming down on high net worth people and being more stringent with their tax returns and the way stuff recorded audits, would that not exacerbate the problem of the flight of those people from the country? Well, a quick answer to that would be you can run, but you can't hide. Um, <laughs> so running away is not going to help you from a tax point of view. Right. Um, it might frustrate it a little bit, but uh, the biggest thing that SARS has been driving at in the last while now is compliance. Now, our traditional thinking of compliance is very, very simple because we used to see compliance purely as do you have outstanding returns or do you have outstanding money? Now, SARS is taking it to where it should be. Compliance is, did you just make a full and proper disclosure? Not just did you file your return. So they are using a, a number of different means to, to ensure that people are declaring all their income and then pursuing those persons for not declaring their income properly or trying to hide or shelter it. And again, that's not a South African problem. That's a worldwide problem. I mean, just have to refer to anything such as Panama Papers, and you'll see. I mean, they quite literally an entire structure was set up around shadow companies to to hide the true identity of beneficial ownership, just really from a tax point of view. So for us, I think the, the big shift has been that, and, and, and this is the correct shift for that matter, instead of trying to tax more compliant people, rather make sure that everyone's paying their fair share of tax before we focus on making the burden bigger on the compliant people. Ed, and this is a, a difficult question. I'll be honest, I'm not quite sure if I understand it myself. I live in a country where I do not pay tax for the first 10 years on passive income. I earn the majority of my income in South Africa, and it is passive income i.e. ongoing flows from deals done years ago. I visit South Africa maybe two, three weeks a year. Do I need to file a tax return in South Africa, especially as the company that I work for deducts PAYE from me every month? Will I get a refund from SARS? Quite convoluted. Right. Um, that's actually a lot to deal with there. So I think the starting point is let's just distinguish between what, what essentially what uh, passive income really means. Right. Passive income means that I'm doing nothing for it. Uh, so rental, uh, interest, dividends, those are passive. I'm not actively, I don't have to show up at eight o'clock to, to do a job to earn it. So passive essentially can happen in my absence. It's, a, it's essentially, again, it's use of my capital or structure that, that creates that for me. Now, 
Um, there are means to, and, and, and I didn't make it clear what that passive income is because it depends. If it's a rental income, then yes, that's South African source. It would have to be taxed here. If it's interest, we have got, uh, if they're non-resident, we have a withholding tax. If not, uh, if they are resident, that, that included into their normal tax here. So it depends on the nature of the passive income uh, as to how we will deal with it. Active income is like earning a salary. I physically do work for it and I get, uh, I get paid. But either way, the, to register, so, so, and this is not just a South African thing, this is a worldwide thing. We need to distinguish that when I earn any income that is subject to tax in a country, there are two ways which a country is going to get its taxes. The one is one where I'm not required to register for tax because the nature of that is I'm either not there enough or the nature of that income isn't something that, that requires me to be registered in that country. Okay. Then a withholding tax typically will apply. And the whole point of a withholding tax is I withhold it at payment. It's done. No further returns required. The moment that I am in a position where I'm regularly earning that or I'm actively earning that income or I'm physically there to do so or am required to, to file a return because there's a deduction to claim, an allowance, a refund, whatever, I then would have to register with that tax authority. So in that question of the person's earning income from South Africa, the fact that they're deducting employees tax means that they not only see that the source is South Africa, but also that it is subject to tax in South Africa. So from that point, if you're wanting to, to, um, get the correct tax outcome, you would need to file a tax return. Can't do so without being registered. But also if that person is an employee in South Africa's context, that source of income alone creates a requirement for them to be registered for tax in South Africa. So there's, so the passive income was a bit difficult because we don't know what the source of the passive income is, whether right. there's a withholding tax or not to it. But the mere fact that they, that they're earning a salary, which employees tax is being deducted from, that already tells me that yes, they should have a tax number because uh, the employer her will not be able to to issue an IRP five tax certificate with that information without the required uh, tax number. And even if you did try and file it that way, SARS will actually allocate the tax number. So I would recommend that person um, the checks that what their tax number is and what their their filing obligations would be. Great. Um, actually, unfortunately, we're starting to run out of time, and there's just one thing I want to get to here. Um, you've Put here in the press release, which I found was quite interesting, a balancing act. Strengthening regulations is a crucial part of South Africa's plan to get off the FATF grey list. Yep. Who is the FATF? I know <laughs> it is because I've looked it up, but for everybody yep. else. So, so essentially, in a short, that, that's, uh, that determines our, um, it's kind of like, if you're doing business, so there's a number of different laws. So one would be looking at, for instance, our rating in terms of investment. The others is looking at it from a tax compliance point of view. We have difference in terms of immigration. So all of these different lists mean something. Now, this one effectively uh, comes down to uh, kind of compliance, doing business, and the tax compliance levels. And if we have 
so, so essentially from a, even from a, a financial transactions and that, uh, kind of, kind of basis, there's also even, our, our, the free movement of cash that comes into that. So when you are not highly rated, it means that you could easily be used as a country to, uh, kind of sidestep tax, sidestep financial regulations and, and, uh, you, you become effectively a risk. So your disclosure then comes with that. Now, on the other side is if the more favorable South Africa becomes in terms of our regulations or our controls over it, and, and that ranges everything from financial controls, tax controls, that then ties in with all the other uh, things. Because even from an investor's point of view, the more control I have and the more politically stable you are, the the better you are as an investment opportunity. So, um, so in short, we need to be able to show that we have laws to combat uh, corrupt activities and free flow of cash and uh, to deal with tax. And at the same time that we have regulations, not only that deals with it, but we're enforcing it. So there's no point in us having a, a law that says, oh, you must pay tax, but we do nothing to pursue the persons for, for those taxes. Let's also remember that we, that, that, that application of, of, um, uh, essentially where we are, our relations with other countries also that will the impact how much we have or access we have to use those countries to help collect taxes. Uh-huh. So remember if, if a person, for instance, has come to South Africa to avoid another country's taxes, they want to call on us and say, help us to try and collect this. And this is also ties in with the treaties we have with them. Um, and on the other side is if we have uh, and in fact, uh, we've had a few of these cases not too long ago where parties have uh, tried to escape from South Africa and we call in essentially the, those other countries and say, hey, we need your help to block the, the free flow of their funds to help collect those taxes. And so it's a, it's a, let's call it a two way street of that countries have to have confidence in our ability to control the flow of, of funds as well as our tax. That they can rely on us, and we can rely on them. If, if, and I hope that that provides some clarity. You really did, um, Etienne. Thank you, Craig. Etienne, just before we say goodbye to you in the next uh, minute and a half, just sum up for me how you see the next year and a half, two years going in relation to SARS tax collection and the fiscus. So I think one of the biggest shifts that's going to happen is SARS is going to look to receive even more data more frequently. Um, in order to, to, to get a handle on it. And one of the drives of that is going to be, uh, so if we look at our IP5, it comes out once a year. There's an interim after six months where employers have to provide recons. If you look at it, SARS is really looking at implementing in the next few years a, a mechanism of where that same level of information is happening once a year with an interim recon to happen every month. So, oh. Essentially, it's going to come to a point of where your tax, where SARS would be able to assess you literally at the end of every month and be able to keep control of that and uh, manage any risks uh, instead of waiting 12 to 18 months to deal with this. And I think that's going to be the big shift. Fantastic. Etienne, thank you so, so much. Thank you for your time. And I'd love to have you on again. I think a lot of questions got answered, but a lot didn't. Craig, thanks for pushing the button. Etienne, thanks again for your time. Have a good week. Speak to you later.